0: Listening to the international hit show, The Baby Names Podcast. And here are your hosts, The Moss Sisters.
1: I'm Jennifer Moss. And I'm Mallory Moss. And we're the founders of BabyNames.com. And we're sisters too. We are. Our first segment is always interesting names we've found since the last episode, and I heard an interesting nickname for the name Paloma that I'd never heard before, and that's Loma, L-O-M-A. I think that's really pretty, and it could be a great alternative to, you know, that other name that starts with L and ends with A and has four letters. Luna, Luna Loma, Loma Linda. I also came across the French name Telesphore, T-E-L-E-S-P-H-O-R-E. It's the French form of the Greek name Telesphorus. And in Greek mythology, Telesphorus was a minor child god of healing. But it actually means
2: bearing fruit or bringer of fulfillment.
1: Telesphore.
2: I don't like the name for in the least.
1: Like telly?
2: It sounds too much like telephone and telescope. Okay, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Anyway, I came across the name Joey for a girl, which I think oh. is a great name. It reminds me of the singer Joey Heatherton. Okay, <laughs> we're dating ourselves. For a boy, how about Eaton, E-A-T-O-N? I think it's a great alternative to Ethan. It's a college in town in England, so I'm not sure it would work there, but I think it would be a wonderful name in the U.S.
1: Hey, what you Eaton?
2: I don't know. No. I don't like your names this week either. Well, I'm not done.
1: A name <laughs> okay. on my
2: friend's family tree is Zedick, Z-E-D-I-C-K, which I think would be in the theme of strong names like Reddick. The only thing I worry about is the Pulp Fiction quote, Zed is dead. Or Zedick. Oh. People mm. calling him Zedick. I guess you're right.
1: Okay. Well, batten zero for three, honey. <laughs> hey, no. Just because <laughs> of you. Well, you didn't like my names either. Okay. So before we go into our name topic of the episode, I do want to let you know that we are conducting a special podcast listener survey to find out who you are and help us tailor specific content to you. It only takes two minutes to fill out and everyone who completes the survey will be entered to win a $50 Amazon gift certificate and we're going to give out two of them so the odds are in your favor.
2: Ooh, how can I enter? You can't,
1: but everyone else can by clicking the link in our show notes or going to babynames.com slash surveys.
2: Man, I need a new pair of shoes.
1: <laughs> okay. We have a special episode today, the first of a two-parter with two very special guests. Today, we're going to talk about Jewish names in the Holocaust with Dr. Iman Nick. As we know, names are tied to identity and culture. So sometimes we get serious, especially when names and naming are tied to cultural oppression. So, although this won't be one of our fun and lighthearted episodes, it's an important topic that we wanted to
2: share. Yes, we can't ignore name topics because they're unpleasant, it's all part of our history. Mm-hmm. So first, let's define what we mean by Jewish names. Jewish is a culture, an identity, and an ethnicity. Jewish names can come up in several forms. They're original Hebrew, Yiddish, and Anglicized names. Hebrew is a Semitic language. Yiddish is a German dialect which integrates many languages, including German, Hebrew, Aramaic, and various Slavic and Romance languages.
1: Yeah, and I didn't know that. While Yiddish uses some Hebrew words and is written in the Hebrew alphabet, it's actually more closely related to German and Slavic than it is to Hebrew. So Abraham would be the Anglicized version of the Hebrew name Avraham, nicknamed Avi, and the Yiddish form
2: is Avram, Here in the US, when families use Hebrew names, it's usually the anglicized version of a Hebrew name like Abraham, but more traditional Jewish families might use the Hebrew spelling for their children.
1: Yeah, like Neve Shulman, the host of the MTV show Catfish, one of my guilty faves, and his given name is Yaniv, Y-A-N-I-V, a Hebrew name meaning he will prosper, and he did.
2: Some other celebrities that have traditionally Hebrew names are Mayim Bialik, Gal Gadot, Shira Haas, Shalom Harlow, and Leev Schreiber. By the way, his real name is Isaac Leev Schreiber. Ooh.
1: And like we said in the last episode on the Social Security baby names, many Old Testament and Hebrew names have been trending on the charts, like... Ezekiel, Micah, Malachi, and even the surname Cohen. But I do have to note that there are people who feel that using these traditional Jewish names by non-Jews, or specifically Christians, is considered cultural appropriation.
2: There's a divide on that. Some people are offended and some are not. Personally, Mm -hmm. I have no problem with it. Me neither. So let's get
1: to it. Today we're going to talk about how names were politicized and used during the Holocaust, both helping and hurting the Jews. We're so honored to have with us today the illustrious Dr. I.M. Nick. Professor I.M. Nick is a sociolinguist with a specialization in forensic onomastics and investigative psychology. She's the president of the Germanic Society for Forensic Linguistics and the editor-in-chief of NAMES, the scientific journal of the American Name Society. You've heard us talk about that in the past. Dr. Nick, thank you for joining us on the Baby Names
0: podcast. My pleasure.
1: So first, we ask this of all our guests, what sparked your interest in names and naming?
0: You know, I'm probably going to give an answer that so many people give who are names enthusiasts, and that is that I had an unusual name. And um, when I was a kid, I remember interrogating my mother saying, why on earth did you give me the name Iman? I really wanted a name like Mary or Robin or Susan, something that all of my friends recognize. And and I found this to be really a burden when I was a little person. And my mom, I will never forget this. We were in her Volkswagen Beetle, said to me, I gave you this name because a name is a gift for the future. Mm. And your name has special roots. And the older you get, the more you will be able to f- discover about your name and the history of your name and the history of your people. So your name is a a gift of memory that I give to you in honor of our ancestors.
1: That's wonderful. I love
0: that. That's what's got me started.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how your mom put so much
0: thought into mm. it.
1: Not just like I named you after the model or something like
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No. And then, um, you know, we kept talking about names and talking about how she came about my name. And she said uh, the name Iman in some languages means faith. And she said in your lifetime, uh, I want you always to remember how important faith is. And when you look at that within the context of both of my parents being extremely active in the civil rights movement, that was also a gift to say that no matter what is happening around you, no matter what kind of hatred or chaos you encounter, you can rely on your faith. I
1: love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Now, can you tell our listeners exactly what's the definition of Forensic onomastics. Sounds so interesting.
0: It's uh, forensic onomastics is a very small niche, but a very important one. It is made up of names researchers who study names to gather information for the solving of crimes. So... One of my areas, for example, is looking at criminal aliases. Mm. So names that criminals will develop for themselves when they're on the run. How will they change um, their identity through their names? And I have looked at that statistically, and I have found that depending on particular crime types, whether it's a rapist or a murderer or a bank robber, um, they have particular kinds of patterns that they use when they take on a criminal alias. Really?
1: Wow. That. Oh, you know what? We're going to have to have a whole episode about this. <laughs> and we're going to invite it's you escalated. back because this is fascinating. <laughs> but today we're talking about Hebrew and Jewish names and, in particular. And how did you come to study that? I know you've uh, written a book called Personal Names, Hitler and the Holocaust, a socio study of genocide in Nazi Germany. That's fascinating.
0: So what sparked your interest in that? Um, I was a psychology major. So um, my background is in clinical and forensic psychology and ling- English linguistics and also German studies. And all of that led me to learning about the Holocaust and I was an undergraduate when I first started taking courses in the Holocaust and decided that I wanted that to be my area of specialization within German studies. And I can honestly say, when I started taking courses and finding out what actually had happened beyond what you might see in a, in a film, mm-hmm. I made a promise to myself when I was in my early 20s that I wanted to devote the rest of my life to making sure that I did everything possible one to bring attention to this horrific event in human history so that we never ever forget what human beings are capable of. And number two, to devote my life to making sure that we never forget the names of those people who were murdered. Mm. Thank you.
1: And as uh... From a family of jewish descent we really mm. thank you for that it is
0: my honor it is truly my honor and um, i'm 53 now and i am still reading every single day on the holocaust it has been my absolute honor and privilege to work with holocaust survivors and tell their stories and i will do it till the day i die
1: and you're currently living in germany now too right
0: i am i actually moved to germany because I wanted to be close to the archives. I wanted to understand how this could have happened, and then I needed to move to Germany to do that. And it wasn't an easy decision. I can I can tell you as a as a black woman moving to Germany in 1991, um, when the wall had just come down, there were neo Nazis everywhere, and um, I was attacked. Oh wow! More times than I can account on the street. I was spit on. I was punched. I was kicked. Um, I had students who stood up when I came in as the professor and said, I'm not going to take a course from an, I mean, it was just off the charts and, and, you know, members of of faculty at the same time who had said, how did this person get here to teach these courses at the same time? Mm -hmm. I had incredible colleagues who came to me and gave me support. I had amazing support from students. And they were in the majority who came to me and and said, let me walk you home. Let me pick you up. Our dormitory where where I lived at the time was attacked by neo-Nazis. And and this is also a name story that that influenced my work um, and made it, again, extremely personal. When I moved here and, and experienced Nazism for the first time, it was really shocking. Because to read about it and then to actually experience it are two completely different things. And what had happened was I was living in a student dormitory at the time. It, it was a huge dormitory with you know hundreds of students living there. And neo-Nazis came to our dormitory in this tiny, tiny city in Germany. And they decided on that day that they wanted to um, kill some foreigners. Mm.
2: So
0: they went to the international dormitory where we were living. And they looked at the mailboxes and examine the names on the mailboxes. They picked out names that looked foreign to them and they very calmly walked up the stairs and rang a woman's doorbell. And she happened to be from Africa and she opened the door and they just attacked her without any reservation. Um, Other people came running out to help her um, and they continued in this massive frenzy and then um, they ran out of the dormitory when enough students came by to her rescue and kind of disappeared into this little uh village where i was living and we were all shocked oh my god and yeah. i remember about a week later looking at the the names on the the mailboxes and my best friend was standing next to me and she was the one that brought my attention to it my name was only 3 boxes away from hers oh, yeah
1: that's so scary.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly how it happened during the Holocaust.
1: What a shame. How scary. And so then you put this thought together that names mm-hmm. really do affect who you are and your experience and how others treat you. Absolutely. I mean, they can
0: make the difference between life and death. If life you have the wrong name, or considered to have the wrong name in a particular situation, you can be picked out from a list and and sentenced to death. And, you know, as a woman, I think that we're sensitive to this issue in a way that men sometimes aren't. Many women, for example, will not put their full name on their um, addresses outside Mm -hmm. or um, have them displayed in a way that the public could see that there's a woman perhaps living in that apartment alone because it's dangerous.
1: Right, I remember doing that. Yeah, back in the 90s, it was always J Moss.
0: yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that people who are potentially victimized by their names very often make these changes in their names without thinking, this is a, a general phenomenon. There are perpetrators who seek people on the basis of their names.
1: So then you did extensive research into names in the Holocaust. And as we said, you, you even wrote a book about it. So can you tell us how names both hurt and helped Jews during that time?
0: Yes. There was a problem for the Nazis when they came to power, and that was that Jewish uh, residents were so integrated in Europe. So the immediate problem that the Nazis had was, how are we going to figure out who's Jewish and who's not Jewish? Because everybody's all mixed together and has been for generation upon generation. What what can we do to figure out who's Jewish and who's not Jewish? And there was a a lawyer, a very ambitious lawyer. His name was Hans Kropke. He had already written a treatise in 1934 where he had said, uh, we've got to do something about all of these Jews who are trying to change their names so that people don't recognize that they're Jewish and they're taking on Christian names. Perhaps to hide their identity or they're even converting to being Christian so that they're not being discriminated against. We've got to stop something about this because these are criminals and they're hiding in our very midst. So he said what we have to do is make a law that says that Jews cannot change their name. So when the Nazis gained power, they discovered Globke and said this is a man we have to work with. So he was given an incredible amount of power in the Ministry of the Interior and was actually one of the architects of writing the Nuremberg race laws that discriminated against uh, Jews. Mm. But what I found in the research that wasn't really um, examined in great detail was he was also the person who started making all of the name laws to identify who was Jewish. And what he said was, um, and this was, he was able to pass this by law, By August 1938, all Jewish children who were born in the Reich were only going to be allowed to have a Jewish name. And to solve the problem of what is a Jewish name, he also developed a list so that there were only 185 names the boys could choose and only 91 names that girls could choose. So any child born after the date of 1938 who was Jewish, had to have one of these names. And these names were typically Hebrew or uh, Yiddish. And they were very uncommon uh, within the Reich at the time. Interesting.
1: So it was for identification.
0: Exactly. And, you know, this was published in American newspapers. Wow. This wasn't a secret. Um, American newspapers, Canadian newspapers, British newspapers carried carried this information. Um, And some of them even said, we should be doing the same thing here because we've got Jews who are infiltrating our system and we should know who they are. So then the Nazis said, okay, this is great for everyone who was born after 1938, but we've got lots of people who are Jewish who were born before 1938. What are we going to do about them? And Mm Glopka said, not a problem. He came up with a new law which said as of January 1st, 1939, all Jews, no matter where they are in the Reich, would have to take on a second name. And if they were a male, that name had to be Israel. And if they were female, that name had to be Sarah. And that name, those names had to be on every piece of identification. So your driver's license, your library card, uh, your passport, anything where your name appeared. And this included personal letters or bills that you had um, to the water department or your electricity bill. Um, They went so far as to say it had to be on businesses. It had to be um, in front of your house. You had to have Israel and Sarah. You had to always use it in your signature. And if you were found not using one of these names, Israel or Sarah, in your official ID, you could immediately be fined or put in prison, which was essentially at that time a concentration camp. Oh, yeah. Now, the thing that was horrible about this was that immediately it made it possible for the Nazis to go through all of these official lists and simply look for the people who had the name Israel or Sarah as a second name. Right. And they knew immediately that person was a Jew. And they used those lists then to develop the list um, to sending people to concentration camps where they were exterminated. Wow.
1: I mean, I I totally believe it, but I didn't know that NAMES had such an influence and that's how it all started. I just assumed that they put a call out. This is what we were told. They put a call out for you to come down and register, quote, register, right, mm-hmm. um, as a Jew. And I right. didn't realize that NAMES had so much to do with identification, That's fascinating.
0: It was so extreme that if you looked at telephone books in major cities at the time, they actually segregated the telephone books so that they had a separate entry for Jewish people. Oh, wow. And then you have the names of everyone with their first name and then the name Israel or Sarah and their address. Mm -hmm. So when the Nazis wanted to have a roundup of Jewish citizens who lived in that area, they just had to pick up a a local phone book. Phone book.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And as I said, if you didn't comply, you would be sent to a concentration camp. And if you did comply, you would be sent to a concentration camp.
1: Yeah, right lose-lose
0: situation it was a lose-lose situation and in the beginning they said we're only going to do this with people who have two parents who are jewish and then grandparents who are jewish and then great-grandparents who are jewish and then it um came to the to the point where they said anyone who has any drop of jewish blood and that could be 12 generations ago as far as they wow. were concerned. And everyone had to go through ancestry checks. Oh my god! Which is part of the reason why it makes me very nervous when I see so many people volunteering their personal data on, on sites for right. their ancestry, because if this data ever gets into the wrong hands or is hacked, this can be incredibly dangerous. In my lifetime,
1: this is the closest we have come to anything similar to the widespread hate. Yeah. And identification.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the reason why it was so important for me to get this book out Mm -hmm. in the time that I did, because the policies that I was seeing where people were saying these people are among us and they're dangerous and we have to mark them and there are there are real citizens and then there are fake citizens. This is this kind of, of of rhetoric costs people's lives. Right. And it can exactly. lead to genocide extremely easily. And it's part of the reason why at the end of the book I, is devoted to modern day genocide, where we also see names being used to identify and murder people.
1: So on the flip side, you said that names have also helped
0: people during that time. Can you talk about that? If you had the opportunity, because these laws were so strictly adhered to, And so sadistically enforced, if you had the opportunity to get a hold of some identification where Sarah and Israel were not on your name card, you could pass as being non-Jewish. Because the assumption was everyone who had the name Israel or Sarah was Jewish and everyone who didn't have that name wasn't. So, One of the things that I talk about in the book are um, stories from interviews that I had from Holocaust survivors who had parents who were able to find people who were willing to help them within the society to get new identity without the name Israel or Sarah attached to them. Wow. It was an incredible act mm-hmm. because people who took that risk also risked their lives and the lives of their families mm-hmm. because it was, was considered to be racial treason. There's a story, uh, one of the stories that, that I think is most powerful. It was a young woman who was a, a child and her mother um, because her mother became separated from, from the father of the family. They were in Paris, and the mother realized, I have to get my babies out. And she went to a very small town outside of France, and the mayor of the town took her in, knowing that she was Jewish, and said, absolutely, we are going to help you. And they called all of the most important people together in the town, and they said, well, you know, we've got to help this mother and her two children. But we've got a problem because they have names that are conspicuously Jewish. So we have to give them new names. And they thought and they thought and they thought. And the the priest said, I I, I have the perfect name for the children. We're going to name them Mary and Joseph. (laughs) 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 So, you know, the mother said, "Okay, these are our new names. And the children learn the catechism and... Um, for a certain period of time, they took on this identity of Mary and Joseph and became Catholic. And one of the hardest things that I that I encountered were children who, in a moment of weakness and trust, would then say, my name is not really, and then give their real name. Mm. And then within 24 hours, their entire family was was on a train to oh. a concentration camp. But they... They managed to keep their secret and they were rescued and they managed to go through the liberation of that small town mm-hmm. and escaped to Canada. And the way that they escaped to Canada is they went back to, to Paris after the war and, and they're walking around Paris and, and, and their entire family has been exterminated. They're the only ones who survived because they were able to change their names and hide out. And a woman came to them in their bombed out apartment and said, I have to give you this coat. And the mother said, but why are you giving me this coat? And the woman said, you have to have this coat. My, your mother made me promise that I would give you this coat. She said, but the coat is a little small for me. I'm not going to, you know, and you need a coat, so take it. It's okay. And the, and the neighbor was like, you have to take this coat. I promised and you're taking the coat. So the mother said, okay, I'm taking the coat. And she wanted to let out the coat because it was too short. And as she did that, she found that her own mother had sewn in the seam of this coat the names of distant relatives who lived in Canada. Oh, wow. And she found a telephone and she was able through the Red Cross to find her relatives in Canada. And they said, oh, my God, you're the only ones who are alive. Wow. And again, it was names. Right. It was just the names of those relatives in Canada, and they immediately sent money, and uh, they are now living in Canada today. Wow,
1: that's a beautiful story. Mm. Yeah. And also when people during the war, when Jews during the war or after the war even emigrated to America, there was still a feeling like they had to change their names. So I know a lot of surnames were changed as they came in. To America. Um, mm-hmm. And was that still because of the fear of being
0: identified? I think it's it's many things. I think after being targeted like that, um, there was the fear of being identified. There was the, the desire to leave all of that behind them. Mm-hmm. Very often when people experience trauma, they will change their names afterwards. So that we don't find that to be unusual in that sense. Um, but there was certainly a feeling of we have to keep ourselves and our family safe. Um, Anti-Semitism was certainly not over after the war, not by a long shot. Right. And unfortunately, far too many of the Nazis who were active during that period also changed their names. Oh, true. So yeah. there was, yeah, so there was a feeling of if the perpetrators are here, hidden, Then we are Mm -hmm. definitely going to have to change our names to say safe. right i have had colleagues who are of the jewish faith and and agonized over whether or not they should give their children uh, names that had been in the family line for generation because they thought what if it sounds too jewish right meaning what if that makes my child vulnerable exactly
1: i can understand that Hmm. yeah as a parent Definitely, absolutely,
0: yeah. absolutely, and and we have seen so many mass murders of Jewish people all over the planet. I mean, Anti-Semitism is alive and well, and um, I have I have seen that rise happen here again in Germany, which has been heartbreaking. All of our synagogues are protected by the police. I have a question.
2: Did the people who changed their names because they were forced to, did any of them keep Sarah or Israel?
0: I'm sure that there were people because you never want to say, no, there were no people who did that. But after immediately after the war, there was an edict. Well, there was a proposal at first that we're going to have to get rid of Sarah and Israel and all of the official documents that the German government keeps because this this is just absolutely offensive and we cannot have this on our official records after the war. And this was, this movement and this proposal was supported by many people um, within the German population including those people who were survivors. There were people within the German government who said, are you kidding me? Do you know how many millions of names there are that we have on records and on every record? I mean, it's on medical records, it's on library records. It's on drivers. like There's no we cannot spare the manpower to do this. And the response of the people was legitimately, are you meaning to tell us that you have the manpower to put all of those names on the record to in the first place? Right, to annihilate people, but you don't have the time to do this to protect people. And once that came out, there was a huge scandal. And then what they said was, okay, what we will do is systematically go through the records and we will try to get rid of all of the names, um, Sarah and Israel in the records. But sometimes we may only strike through them. So it's been... Interesting for me to go through the archives and to see if these people's names still have Israel and Sarah. And sometimes it's simply a strike through. Mm-hmm. This was so pervasive. People were actually required to change the names on gravestones. Oh, my God. So that if your great-grandfather had died and his gravestone was in the Jewish cemetery, you had to pay to have the name Israel placed on that gravestone. That's how extreme this was. But that would have no effect on it
1: unless it would identify those people who belong to that person, I guess.
0: It would do several things. One, the people had to pay for it. I mean, you can imagine these are millions of people who are having to pay for name changes for all of these documents. That was Mm -hmm. a lot of money. Mm -hmm. The second is it's offensive Mm -hmm. and it's hurtful some of these people had been in these small villages for generations upon generations and no one knew that they were jewish Mm -hmm. and having to do that identified them as being jewish and then on top of it as we still see today unfortunately when nazis want to harm people uh emotionally they will often go to graveyards and um damaged the gravestones. Mm -hmm. So all of those gravestones that had Israel and Sarah were the first ones to be damaged or desecrated, or those were the ones that were taken from the graveyard and used by the Nazis for paving their streets. Mm -hmm.
2: And there are still
0: European streets today that have been paved uh, using the gravestones of Jewish family members. Oh, no. And people don't realize that when we we're walking down the street that that cement was taken from gravestones.
1: Terrific.
0: Ugh.
1: This is really important information. Too. Mm. It's
2: extremely important. And what's interesting to me is I had heard a- about Sarah and Israel, and I and I had done some studying, not nearly as extensive, about just about the Holocaust when I was at UCLA. One story I remember is, and I don't know if you know the story if I'm remembering it correctly, but a person who had escaped got themselves, I think to Switzerland, and then they didn't know what to do from there. So they looked in a phone book and went to the name Cohen and just started randomly calling Cohen's until someone would would take him. I don't know if you've heard that story or if I even have it right, but even then, even in the 80s, you know, I was learning about how names affected
0: people during the Holocaust. Yeah. I haven't heard that particular story, but it wouldn't surprise me. But, you know, the interesting thing about Cohen as a last name is there are certain last names that we associate as being Jewish and certain last names that we associate as not being Jewish. As soon as the Nazis came to power, more so after the Nazis came to power would be more accurate. There were people who had names that they considered to be non-Jewish because they were non-Jewish. Right. And they took offense that there were other people who had this last name that was Jewish. I found for example a uh, families who had the last name Cohen, who were non-Jewish, who wrote letters into the Nazi party saying, you know, why, why do the Jews get to have this last name? I am a, I'm a proud uh, member of the National Socialist Party, and we should forbid them from having the name Cohen, because th- th- this, is, this is our name. Wow. They shouldn't be allowed to have these last names. So there, there was a movement to say there are certain last names that Jews will not be allowed to have. They... For example, we're not allowed to have the last name um, Deutsch or Deutschlander because that was the name of the, of the nation. Dimanche. Of the country, right. right. Exactly. So they had to change their last name and then um, they had to petition the court to, to have a name that the court would say, well, that sounds Jewish enough. You can have that name.
1: Well, that kind of brings us into this new topic that I came across, Mm -hmm. um, specifically with Cohen, actually. And that is Jewish name appropriation. I belong to several naming groups on Facebook. And this topic has come up over and over in, I'd say, the last year or two. And that is that um, there is such a thing as name appropriation. We know that. um, It's a form of cultural appropriation. But that Jews are extremely offended If non-Jews or Christians in particular use a name for their child that is historically Hebrew or Jewish, like Cohen, which has become uh, more popular on the U.S. charts, or Levi or Miriam. Have you... As
2: first names. As first Mm. names,
1: correct. Um, So have you run across this before, Dr. Nick? Have you heard about this?
0: I have. Interestingly enough, it was very common in Zionist circles Um, before the Nazis came to power and during the first part of of their rise to, to power that many Zionists said, you know, it's hard right now being Jewish. You're risking your life saying openly that you're Jewish, but precisely because of that, you should be proud of your Jewish identity and you should stop trying to assimilate. These people will never accept us. You should be proud of your Jewish heritage and you should give your children Jewish names. And if you don't do that then you are supporting the nazi ideology that that our culture and our history are um, something to be ashamed of i can absolutely understand the sentiment completely but the idea of segregating people by names or saying that certain names are only appropriate for or allowed to a particular group can very easily be used by dangerous forces Mm -hmm to target and attack right and um if there's anything that this history has told us there are with everything there are positives and negatives but there can be some very dangerous consequences for trying to enforce name segregation right
1: yeah i was just going to say it's a it's a form of segregation yeah. And so self segregation in a way, mm. Mm. Um, but still could be used against them very yeah. easily. And also, like, where do you draw the line, too? Because exactly. there are names like Joshua or Abigail that have become super popular in a wide variety of cultures and faith.
0: Absolutely.
1: I can understand maybe Cohen because it is a family name and it goes back so far. But then, you know, what about the other ones like Benjamin or Caleb or, you know, the Old Testament names, mm-hmm. which are now way on the top of the charts?
0: I I completely agree with you. And many names exist in multiple cultures and have different meanings in different in different cultures. So even if you were to try to draw the line within one culture, it's not going to be relevant for another culture.
1: Right. Uh,
0: my name Iman exists in many different languages in many different cultures and has many different meanings and translations. Right. In some cultures, it is considered offensive that I as a woman have the name Iman. I've oh. encountered people who said it is isn't. An insult to our culture that a woman carries this name, Iman, because it's a name that is used for someone who is holy and it should be reserved for males. In other cultures, that's not a problem at all and is marked female. Yeah. So as a linguist, I find it problematic to do it. As from a political standpoint, I think that it's extremely short sighted um, because of the potential repercussions. Right. Uh, And one of the most popular questions I get from, from people is what is a good name for my child? And my answer is always a name that you can say with the greatest of love and appreciation and honor.
1: That's beautiful. Dr. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And it's been a pleasure for us. And I love that you lent your voice to our show.
0: Thank you so much.
1: That was such an amazing conversation.
2: Yes. And what I realized we forgot to mention is the fact that when Jews were admitted into the concentration camps, their names were taken away from them. Numbers were Mm. tattooed on their arms, and they were referred to by a number. This was to dehumanize them both as a form of psychological abuse and to ease the consciences of the Nazis and support their ideology that Jews were not human. It's easier to kill a number than a human being with a name.
1: Yeah, and that's how important names are. They're tied to being human and having an identity with a family, our tribe, and our world. And also, like as I'm watching the current season of Handmaid's Tale, that fictional world of Gilead, the handmaids and other servant women are stripped of their names as well. All household workers are named Martha and the handmaid is stripped of her original name and given a possessive name reflecting the man of the household, like of Glenn or of Fred. Hmm. In fact, Margaret Atwood, the author of the novel, stated, quote, "A handmaid's tale is not fiction. Everything that happened in the novel has happened in real life."
2: Oh, sure did. Part two of Jewish names will drop in two weeks where we interview Kirsten Vermaglich, Vermaglich. <laughs> author of a Rosenberg by any other name <laughs> about Jewish names changing in America after the war. And we'll reveal our own original family name because ours was changed too. It was, but don't go away. We're going to take a short break now
1: and then be back with the latest Celebrity Baby News. And it's juicy.
0: And now it's time for Celebrity Baby News.
2: Danielle Savra. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know from Station 19 is helping her childhood best friend, Chris Ogden Harkins and Hubby Jacob have a baby by donating her eggs. I think it is such a sweet and courageous thing to do.
1: Yes, cool.
2: Actress Trojan Belisario
1: from Pretty Little Liars and hubby Patrick Adams from Suits surprised us with the news that they had a baby girl a month ago. And oh my God, one of my favorite crossover names, they named her Elliot Rowena. Now, I like Elliot Rowena to me, is a vacuum cleaner. But anyway, both stars referenced an exciting birth, but did not elaborate on anything else, but were so happy for the family.
2: Yes, indeed. Arielle, ooh, I like that name, A-R-I-E-L-L-E, mm-hmm. Charnas, who is considered to be an influencer because of her blog Something Navy, and husband Brandon, have announced that they have had their third child. The name of their baby girl is... Ugh, Navy B. Charnas. Baby B's older sisters are Ruby Lou and Esme Ray. What do you think about naming a child after the family business, Jen?
1: You know, when we were thinking about creating names, I said we should add to the database the name B I E N N E and that stands for B N or babynames.com. It's what our community called baby names. So, I have to say that it's not bad. Maybe they have another reason for naming both the business and their baby Navy. Maybe they're a Navy family. Who knows? All right. Today's show co-anchor Dylan Dreyer and husband Brian Pachera are expecting their third child together. They even picked the name for their baby boy, but they've not released it yet. We do know that his older brother's names are Calvin Bradley, who's four, and Oliver George, who's one. So I expect the names to be a little more trendy than traditional. I like Calvin. Calvin.
2: <laughs> now for some boy band news, Nick Carter from The Backstreet Boys and wife Lauren Kit Carter have now released the name of their baby girl Pearl. Pearl's older sister is named Circia, who was born in 2019. Did I get that right? Yeah. Good. It's Sorsha or Searsha? Searsha. They chose Pearl. Partly because it is easier to pronounce than Sersha, And it also is the name that Lauren wanted for their first baby. Another boy band star, Lance Bass, has said that he and husband Michael are going to be dads to boy-girl twins, just like Michael was.
1: So cool. I'm so excited for them. Carlos and Alexa Peña Vega had their third child. And it was a baby girl. The baby spent some time in the NICU, but is home now. Her name is Rio Rey Peña Vega. I love that, Rio. I think that's really strong. R-I-O, as in the Spanish word for river, and Rey, R-E-Y, meaning king. Her two older brothers are Kingston James and Ocean King. So I guess they have the word king in all three names. That's interesting.
2: I just think Ocean King sounds like, you know, Poseidon. Poseidon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Singer-songwriter Fantasia Barino and husband Kendall Taylor have welcomed baby girl Kaziah London-Taylor into the world. Aww. We wish the family all the best as Kaziah was born prematurely and needed some time in the NICU. Fantasia's older sons are Dallas Xavier and Zion Quarry, Q-U-A-R-I. Kendall has a boy from a previous relationship named Treshawn, T-R-E-Y-S-H-A-U-N.
1: Usher, Usher Raymond, is expecting his fourth child, which is the second with partner and music executive, Jen Goyakachea. (laughs) (laughs) Did I get it right? Goyakachea?
2: Goyakachea, I would think. And that's the end of that story.
1: The name of Emma Stone and hubby Dave McCary's baby girl was discovered by TMZ before they chose to announce it. The baby's name is Louise Jean McCary. What do you think about TMZ doing that?
2: I think it's pretty slimy, actually. I don't think that the couple's baby name should be announced until the parents choose to do it.
1: Agreed. It's personal
2: information. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, ski racer Bodie Miller, whose own name became a trend when he was first on the scene to the general public, and wife beach volleyball player Morgan, have announced that they are expecting a baby girl. Bodie has daughter Dace, D-A-C-E, and son Nate from previous relationships. Hmm. The rest of the children are all from both parents. The children's names are Nash, Easton, Asher, and Ansel, and also their late daughter, Emmeline, E-M-E-L-I-N-E, who passed away from a drowning accident.
1: Wow, that's so sad. It is. Well, we wish them the best. Yes. All right, that's it for Celebrity Baby News, but we will have more each episode. If you want immediate news, go to babynames.com and click Celebrities in the menu. And now where we take questions from you, our listeners. This is our favorite part. So I will read the first one. Hello! My wife and I are expecting our firstborn in the next month or so. We have some wonderful favorite names for girls that we both agree on, but boy, names have been a challenge. We both want a name that's fairly strong and masculine, but my wife's preferences are more current and trending, while mine are more classic. Now the middle name is Gordon and the last name is Ward. So the following are our contenders. Owen Gordon Ward. It's hard to say. Caleb Gordon Ward. Ethan Gordon Ward. Richard Gordon-Ward, Stanley Gordon-Ward, and Maxwell Gordon-Ward. I'm curious what your thoughts on our list might be. Thank you, Ben.
2: Well, Ben, I have a problem, and my problem is I don't like Gordon-Ward. It's too hard to say.
1: But remember, the middle name is rarely spoken out loud. Usually when they introduce themselves, it'll be first name, last name. That's true. Okay, well, but Owen Ward, Caleb Ward, right? Ethan Ward, Richard Ward, Stanley Ward, Maxwell Ward. So there's a lot of W's in there.
2: I'm all for Max and not Maxwell. Hmm, like Maximilian? No, just Max.
1: Oh, Max Ward. On the
2: other hand, Maxwell Ward. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I think that just. It's hard to say. hard to say. So which of of these are your favorite? Just Max? Max without the well and not Ethan because it's too popular. Not Richard, not Stanley. I guess owen but that's popular too there's some really popular names on this list
1: i'd say caleb caleb ward works well together without the whoa it does um, the w and but they're all pretty popular names other than richard and stanley which still sound like old grandpas
2: (laughs) well richard also has the nickname problem
1: yeah exactly now, what I didn't tell you is that when he sent this email, the subject was Stanley. So I'm not sure if that is their front runner or not. I wrote them back and I didn't get a response, but I have a feeling Stanley is their first choice.
2: All right.
1: Why don't you read the second?
2: Hello, sisters. There is a character in the fantasy novel The Way of Kings named Kaladin, K-A-L-A-D-I-N, who is brave, kind, and good to a fault. The name Kaladin is at the top of my baby name list right now for a boy. Could this be added to babynames.com? Much love from upstate New York, Alyssa. I like
1: it. Because it's easy to pronounce and it's easy to spell, K-A-L-A-D-I-N. We had no problem pronouncing it. It is a character name created by American author Brandon Sanderson for his fantasy novel series, The Stormlight Archive. He is known as Kaladin Stormblessed. Sounds like a Game of Thrones name. Mm -hmm. And and that was a nickname he acquired in Amaram's Army because he had a reputation for being extremely lucky. So I think it's a cool name. And guess what? I put it into our database. So thanks, Alyssa. And now we have a cool new fictional name in the
2: database. And maybe someday there'll be a baby named Kaladin. Yeah. And I like the nickname Cal, K-A-L. It's kind of like Calvin, but um, right. With a K. Or Cal L. Who's Cal L?
1: Cal L is Superman's actual name. Nicolas Cage named his son Cal L.
2: Hmm. Not Jorel.
1: No, Jorel is the father. I don't know. Alright. So on that note, <laughs> thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to listen to part two of Jewish Names and Identity, which will drop in two weeks. And take our survey. The link is in the show notes, and you might just get free stuff. Woohoo! Thanks for listening. We love you, and I love you, Mel.
2: Love you, Jen. Bye. Bye-bye.